Welcome everyone to episode seven of Inclusion Infusions. My name's Sarah Gon, and I'm a Gonk Oncology's Inclusion and Diversity Specialist. I use the pronouns she and her. This podcast is an open response to the curiosity and controversy surrounding washrooms and the trans and non-binary community. Today, we're gonna speak with national and local experts on safety, security, and the lived experiences of transgender students and employees. While my co-host this week, never shies away from a difficult conversation, embraces humor and empathy as a way to tackle equity and diversity conversations. Dr. Martin Lee has been a member of the Inclusion and Diversity Circle since its inception and is also a professor in the biotechnology program. Thanks for joining me, Martin. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Just so everyone knows, I go by he and him. So Martin, in my work with you, I have seen how committed you are to pushing for equity, diversity, and inclusion in your personal and professional life, for your colleagues and for your learners. Can you share with me perhaps a seminal moment for you where you recognized inequity and knew it was really important to push for change? Yeah, of course. And and what I find interesting is that once you become aware of inequities, they suddenly become obvious everywhere. In my background in the sciences, I've absolutely seen the struggles of non-male peers to get recognized and seen for the hard work and often harder work that they do. I think that launched me into teaching in a mode where I became quite sensitive to the issues facing these groups, particularly BIPOC and gender-affected peers. I particularly remember when I was starting preparations for a clinical trial on my PhD, I was instructed by my supervisors to only recruit, and I'm directly quoting here, healthy young males between the ages of 18 and 30 because, and again, I'm quoting, they're not affected by hormones. (laughs) At the time, I fought back pretty hard and was unsuccessful. I was only the student in the group. But now that I'm in a position to have a lot more control over learning spaces, I ensure that that's the sort of nonsense and frankly bad science that I had to witness and that, that it's not tolerated, certainly in the spaces that um, I have control over. Thanks for your, your example and your candor there, Martin, and letting everybody get to know you a little bit better before we jump too far into the conversation. I think your experience leads us into our conversation today on washrooms. And I'll kick us off with the story about why we're having today's discussion at all. So at Algonquin College, we've made many strides in creating more inclusive college from policies, awareness, learning, addressing systemic barriers. There's been a lot of work done. But the most controversial and widely discussed item was in 2019 when we added signs to all of the gendered washrooms, men's and women's. And the sign said the following, this is a men's washroom. Everyone who identifies as a man and or trans person may use this space. Algonquin College respects everyone's rights to choose the washroom that's appropriate for them. So if you want to check out an example of what that looks like, listeners, you can just Google it, Algonquin College washroom sign. And of course, the women's washroom said this is a women's washroom. There were gendered signs. Not that controversial sounding, but absolutely stirred up a lot of conversation. So in 2020, we updated the signs with different language after we received some feedback from the 2S LGBTQ plus community. So now if you were to enter any washroom on campus, you would see a sign with some some beautiful rainbow imagery. And that sign says, Algonquin College respects everyone's right to choose the washroom that's appropriate for them. If you see someone whose gender you think does not match the sign on the door, follow these steps. One, don't worry about it. They know better than you. 
it's a little bit uh, tongue in cheek, but more to the point, I think. Exactly. So that begs the question, why? Sarah, why would the college decide that that signage was needed? Was there an incident that precipitated a change? Or is this something which the college had just been meaning to do and it found the right time to do it back in 2019? Well, Martin, yeah, there was a catalyst that really pushed the inclusion and diversity team in HR to move quickly with the signage campaign to really build awareness. So I received a request for support after a student who was using the washroom that matched their gender. And just sidebar, remember folks, gender is not something that you can identify for another person. It's a deeply held internal quality. It can't be seen, it can't be assigned. So the student was using the washroom that matched their gender. And uh, another student notified their faculty that they were uncomfortable sharing the washroom with that other student. So, you know, people, people do the best they, they can with what they know. So when people know better, they do better. But, uh, you know, the faculty member asked the targeted student to use the all gender washroom rather than the washroom that matched their gender. We don't have enough of these washrooms on campus, the all gender washroom. So it was a little bit of a distance away. It was not really convenient for that student to go to the all gender washroom. And it was, you know, a well-intentioned solution, but it doesn't actually respect the rights of the targeted student. So this incident happened. The student was uh, quite upset. So off I go, putting up the signs that I uh, told you about in all the gender-specific washrooms on all three of our campuses. So you know, it was really an awareness effort. We could have issued a memo to all the staff, you know, we have those that come out all the time uh, or a communique, but it wouldn't have generated the same broad awareness for anybody who enters our campus in the way that that signage campaign certainly got the conversation going. It's really a visible statement of how we expect others to live our college value of respect. So let me tell you, Martin, it was these signs stirred up controversy, awareness, and passions like I've, I've not seen. On the positive side, I received a lot of emails and phone calls saying that people had no idea about this being an issue for the trans and non-binary community, started respectful conversations with friends and family members, campus visitors, and Twitter certainly gave us a lot of love. Yeah, and, and that's all amazing. But of course... We wouldn't be here talking about it if the addition of signs hadn't also stirred up quite a bit of hate. So there appeared to be an organized campaign of misinformation and vitriol, which came out of, unsurprisingly, on Twitter. Some of those accounts that were sharing these things have since been suspended, which probably indicates that they've gone to darker parts of the internet where I, for one, am unlikely to follow. But most of the comments followed the old trope that we've we've heard before of, I'm a man who might want to be in a woman's bathroom. Maybe I can do it now. And of course, but what about the children? For some reason, people find these the the idea of, of someone in a bathroom that they don't want to be there to be truly confronting. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> that all these feelings, emotions, and that, that the love and the hate have really led us to the podcast that we're recording today. The less than positive conversations, we'll say online, have been steeped in these myths about transgender and non-binary people. 
a lack of understanding about the laws and the legal environment we're operating in. And they have a like distinct undertone of fear. And since these conversations and comments are happening in the Twitterverse where there's some anonymity, I can only assume that there are people who are using our washrooms and our spaces on, on our campuses that are also concerned or uncomfortable or would maybe like to know a little bit more about washroom safety. So I think let's have that conversation. No time but like the present. So the very first myth I think we should address is that allowing everyone to choose the washroom that they're most comfortable in is a new Algonquin College policy. It's not. And frankly, it's the law. Gender identity is a protected ground under the Human Rights Code of Ontario, just like race or disability. And the commission provides clear guidance on the issue. And to directly quote them, everyone has the right to define their own gender identity. Trans people should be recognized and treated as the gender they live in, whether or not they have undergone surgery or their identity documents are up to date. Trans people should have access to washrooms, change rooms, and other gender-specific services and facilities based on their lived gender identity. Organizations should design or change their rules, practices, and, and facilities to avoid negative effects on trans people and be more inclusive for everyone. Trans people and other gender non-conforming individuals should not be treated negatively while at work, at school, trying to rent an apartment, shopping, eating a meal in a restaurant, using healthcare services or shelters, dealing with law enforcement and justice services, or at any other time. The Human Rights Commission is very clear in their statement and their expectations, and the signage found in the washrooms on campus is an awareness building measure in order to help the college ensure that we're embracing the spirit of the code and embracing those students who are affected by these issues. Thanks, Martin. As we continue this conversation, I think it's really important that we keep in mind that this is the law. This isn't some nice to have, some sort of virtue signaling or performative allyship. This is a basic human right. So, the next myth that I see rolling across the, the depths of the internet is this idea that by allowing trans or non-binary people to use washroom that fits their identity, we're making our washrooms unsafe for, making some air quotes here, real women. That by adding our signage, uh, somehow we've invited the possibility of sexual violence and harassment in the washrooms and change rooms. So this claim doesn't hold water when we look at the data. First things first, trans women are women, just as trans men are men. There are plenty of people who don't identify with either. And a fun fact about all of these groups is that they all need to go to the bathroom on a regular basis. Additionally, the concern over washroom or bathroom violence is an imaginary scenario. In the US, there's not a single reported instance of washroom voyeurism occurring in states with legal protections for trans people. Research into 17 American school districts with protections for trans people, which collectively cover more than 600,000 students, found no problems with harassment in bathrooms or locker rooms after implementing their policies. To bring this conversation closer to home, we've invited the Algonquin College campus security expert to give us the facts. We're now going to welcome Mike Leviolette, manager of security for the college. Mike's been the manager of security and emergency services for the past two years after having completed a 31-year career with the Ottawa Police Service, where he worked in a variety of capacities, including the inspector responsible for homicide, partner assault, sexual assault, and child abuse sections, as well as the victim crisis unit. 
Additionally, he represented Ottawa Police as a member of OCTEVAW and chaired the Violence Against Women, Sex Assault and Partner Assault Committees. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much, Martin. I'm going to jump right in. Can you tell us what you and your team do on campus and specifically how you ensure gender-specific security for women and men at the college? Sure. So security and emergency services is made up of three main components. We have the technical side of the house, so our physical security section. So with very little exception, almost every square inch of uh, public access property is under video surveillance here. So we've got an eye on pretty much every area uh, of the college. So I have a team who manages that, all the alarm systems, whether it be intrusion alarms or fire alarms, also card access, key access. So that's one component of what we do. Additionally, we have our investigations side of the house. So they conduct investigations that are mainly related to student conduct issues. But uh, it can range from either it's behavioral in classroom complaints that we get or activity on campus. And we also do investigations on behalf of human resources or staff-related matters. And we have one investigator who is specifically dedicated to sexual assault and or sexual violence uh, as a whole. So that will take in everything. So if, in fact, we had an incident where there was some kind of conflict uh, in a washroom related to transgender he would be the assigned investigator as he's the specialist in that area. And then, of course, the last one is the one that's the most visible, and those are the uniformed officers that are seen walking around the campus. And they maintain the day-to-day operations out there, patrolling, keeping everyone safe, responding to calls for service, and, uh, and also uh, they provide access to people who require access to certain areas. Specifically, what we're doing with respect to the washrooms, we have certain areas on campus that are a little more prone to certain activities than others, you know, just in general. Uh, and for instance, the ACE building, the, the Construction Excellence Building on the other side of Woodruff Avenue, because of the proximity to the transit station, and those doors are open 24-7, We tend to get a little bit more activity there after hours. Not so much now because we have someone at that door 24-7 because of COVID. But prior to COVID, um, there's no one at that door. So we tend to get a few more vagrants coming in, using the washrooms, using some of the classrooms to sleep in, that kind of thing. So, you know, that's really, I would suggest, would be the most vulnerable place compared to some of the other places on campus. But again, because, because of COVID, we have someone there 24 hours a day. So even those incidents uh, uh, have been eliminated completely. Well, Mike, sounds like you've got eyes and ears and feet all over our campuses. But you mentioned that we have video everywhere. Uh, I have to ask, do we have videos in the washroom? No, we do not. No, the privacy laws forbid that. So the washrooms do not have video in there, nor do change room facilities that you would see perhaps in like P building or at the gymnasium 
uh, we don't have cameras in those areas, but we do have cameras on the outside where we would see people going in and out. Okay, so, you know, you, you might be aware there's been a lot of online chatter about the risks for women experiencing sexual violence in the washrooms. And I know you said there's certain places on campus where they tend to be more open to the public, and that's perhaps a risk, but I'm wondering if you can tell us if there's any other safety risks that women face while they go to the washrooms on campus. Have there been any uh, incidents that we should be aware of? Naturally, there's a lot less traffic on campus because of COVID. However, even prior to COVID, we've had no incidents. When the issue first became more known, you know, as people were talking more about it, and particularly when the signage went up, certainly it was something that was discussed. We discussed the potential risks here at length and and put somewhat of a framework together in terms of what our responses would be. We, our people are all trained and up to speed on the legislation and what the expectations are. But I have to tell you, we prepared for the worst, hoped for the best, and we got the best. The Algonquin community specifically, I can't speak for anywhere else, but I can certainly speak for here, is extremely understanding and there have been no issues whatsoever. I mean, that's a, that's a very gratifying thing to hear. And it, it certainly, uh, you know, supports the, the experience overseas that this isn't really a major issue for, for people in bathrooms. But I, I just want to ask perhaps a little bit more to the transgendered and or non-binary people in our community. So what about trans or non-binary safety? Have you received calls or complaints from any of those people who are being harassed? We have not, uh, not one. And uh, in preparation for today, I, uh, I, I checked with our, we have an analytical section as well, who supports all of risk management. But when we're looking for statistics for reports and stuff like that, um, we have our specialists who dig right into that. And it confirmed exactly what we suspected, that we've had nothing, not one. Mm. And uh, just as a follow-up, you know, uh, obviously you're only uh, in charge of Algonquin, but are you aware of any of this sort of behavior happening anywhere else? Perhaps one of our other campus or one of our sister campuses here, perhaps Ottawa University, Carleton, um, anywhere else in Ontario? Yeah, actually, I can tell you, uh, it's not, it doesn't seem to be an issue anywhere. I'm in constant contact with my peers here in the city, uh, whether it be uh, U Ottawa, Carleton, or even Cité Collegiale. We speak regularly on a number of issues. As you can imagine, COVID dominates the conversation at the moment. But, you know, we share best practices. And if we identify trends and things to look out for, uh, evaluating risks and any issues related to transgender, non-binary, uh, anything of that nature is not on anyone's radar. It's it's really a non-issue. So it's like we've got a, a great track record of washroom safety, no incidents for women who are seen as uh, vulnerable in these positions. So clearly that's not playing out. We're not having uh, situations where trans or non-binary people are being harassed in the washrooms. So there's, there's got to be something here uh, that's working well. I'm wondering what 
training does the security team receive on washroom safety or gender inclusion? What makes your team so so uh, skilled in this area? Well, we updated our training package a couple of years ago when I first came here. So um, we have kind of a, a general, we, we call it use of force training, which is really the same language as used by police services. And we aligned a lot of our training um, with that of the Ottawa police and um, our partners around the city. So whether it be uh, Ottawa Hospital Security, Carleton University, OC Transpol, uh, U Ottawa, it's not identical, but we try and tailor things so that we have some, some common ground so that it's understood that regardless of where you're working, we're all looking at the same things. So things like disengagement, uh, de-escalation, mental health issues, a lot of training in mental health. And what the added benefit that we have here at Algonquin is the wonderful programs that are offered free of charge, I might add, because it's very cost efficient for us. But um, that's what we do here. And we take full advantage of the opportunities that are afforded us for training in every aspect, whether it be you know, many, many courses in EDI, whether it be um, indigenization uh, training, diversity, sensitivity training, all those aspects are covered on a regular basis, um, more so online at the moment. But we, uh, when we're permitted, uh, then we do so in class as well. And it's really of great benefit to all our people here, specifically those who are looking to move on to careers in law enforcement. It's all things that they can, A, put into practice real time here, and then uh, add those elements to their resumes, which really helps them stand out as they're moving on to a career in law enforcement. Well, that's great. So I'm sure your team will be uh, first up for listening to this podcast when we release it as another learning opportunity. And uh, thanks to you and your team sure that our spaces are safe for everyone to use when they need to simply go to the washroom. Thanks for chatting with us today, Mike. Anytime. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you so much for having me. Our next two guests are experts in 2S LGBTQ plus inclusion in the workplace and on campus. We're so pleased to be joined by Jade Pichette. Jade Pichette, also uh, who goes by They and Them, is an inclusion and diversity professional based in Tikaranto or Toronto. Currently, Jade serves as the manager of programs at Pride at Work Canada, where they work with over 150 large employers across Canada around sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression and inclusion. Previously, Jade served as the volunteer and community outreach coordinator at the Archives, the education program coordinator at Kindspace, and they continue to run an independent inclusion and diversity consulting business. They're one of the authors of Transitioning Employers, a survey of policies and practices for trans-inclusive workplaces. Jade is also an Asantru Githya priestess of Vindasir Kindred. They've been involved in many interfaith and anti-discrimination initiatives, including being the first trans-feminine person to present at the Parliament of World Religions in 2018. We also have with us Quinn Blue. Quinn is the uh, amazing coordinator of our campus wellness and equity center and has spent his life working hard on the issues we're talking about here, as well as many others. Additionally, I've worked proudly with Quinn at Project ACORN, a camp specifically designed for 2S LGBTQ plus youth. 
I was a mayor camp counselor and seeing Quinn in his element was an honor. So we welcome both of you and uh, thanks for sharing your perspective on the topic of trans inclusion, specifically the washroom debate. To start with an introduction for listeners who may not have a deep amount of knowledge as it regards to 2SLGBTQ plus experiences, can you explain for us why washrooms seem or are seen as unsafe by the trans or non-binary community? Jay, do you get to kick us off? Sure, of course. Thank you for that introduction, Martin. In terms of, uh, you know, washrooms, they, they have historically been an unsafe place for trans people. And the narrative historically has also been in the media that having trans inclusive washrooms is, is unsafe, is going to provide um, some conflict. But when we actually look at the stories and the research, what we find is that consistently the people who are being harassed and experiencing violence in washrooms are overwhelmingly trans folks in regards to that issue um, in comparison to other uh, cis demographics. Really what we see is everything from, you know, verbal harassment, like you're not supposed to be here, you're not a a man, you're not a woman, whatever that might be, um, and also sometimes physical or sexual harassment as well. This is kind of a out-of-date reference, but um, I think one of the best examples of that in media was actually in Better Than Chocolate, which is an obscure queer lesbian uh, Canadian film that a trans woman actually gets physically harassed in the washroom. And, and as a trans feminine person myself, I have had to, to deal with harassment over the years in washrooms, um, but there is absolutely no cases of trans people harassing cis people in washrooms. There's none, like it, they just, they don't exist. There are situations of cis people who have donned the robe of being trans who have caused violence in washrooms, but it's always come out that they were cis and that they they didn't actually identify as trans in, in any capacity. It's almost like these people are going to the bathroom to go to the bathroom and yeah. not for any <laughs> other reason. Speaking entirely personally, I don't really understand what these people are supposed to be doing in a bathroom other than going to a bathroom, but here we are talking about it anyway. So, Quinn, can you add to that from a student perspective? What have I learned with you about the college's space? Yeah, I mean, I think that that really covers a lot of it. I think one other aspect that I wanted to bring up that I haven't necessarily heard of happening specifically on campus, but that I think is an important piece of what can happen to trans and or non-binary people in washrooms is that people might call security, which is pretty uncomfortable for anybody, but can be particularly unsafe and have dangerous consequences for Black and Indigenous trans people. So I think that that's an important piece to bring up as well, in addition to everything that Jade already said. I think that one thing that happens a lot, both on and off campus, is that trans people might avoid using the washroom out of fear of harassment. So one statistic from the Trans Pulse study uh, that was done in Ontario in 2010 is that 57% of trans people indicated that they had avoided using public washrooms due to a fear of harassment. And I absolutely see that replicated on campus where I often hear from students that they take all sorts of steps to avoid harassment in the washrooms on campus. So whether that's having particular washrooms that they'll use uh, preferentially over others based on 
how busy it is, how isolated or not isolated it is. Um, some students might only use the single stall washrooms, but again, that can mean that they have to wait a little bit longer, that they can't go during a class break, for instance, because there just isn't time to get all the way across campus where the closest single stall washroom is. So I think that that avoidance is a really big part of what happens in terms of trans people accessing washrooms. And to add to what Quinn was saying, we also see uh, rates of urinary tract infections and, and other types of illnesses in that regard higher among trans populations as a result of avoiding using public bathrooms. So we actually see the medical impact on trans populations because of that as well, not just the stress and the fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I keep thinking about how much extra thought and time and anxiety has to go into using the washroom and navigating using the washroom when you're a trans or non-binary person. And I just want that energy and that time to be able to go somewhere else. Yeah, that sounds, you know, exhausting, right? To have to process all these pieces. So, you know, on our campus, we want to make sure we're inclusive and people can access whatever washroom that they need to access, which we know is the law. And so we started our sign campaign in 2019. Quinn, we've gone through a couple of iterations. I know you've supported some of that work. Signs the answer, or do they make it better or worse? What's your reaction to that sort of approach? Yeah, I think for me, signs are one piece of a much bigger puzzle. So I think that given that renovating washrooms, building new types of washrooms takes a lot of time and money that we don't necessarily have. Steins can be kind of one piece of that big puzzle of making washrooms a little bit more inclusive. So for me, the signs make clear what was already true, as we said, that, you know, people can use the washroom that they're most comfortable in. And I think that they can play a little bit of a role in sparking curiosity or sparking a little bit of that behavior change. But I think that they can also create some backlash, which is concerning always. But I think what is most reassuring to me is when I hear from trans people on campus that those signs helped them to feel comfortable using the washroom of their choice. And I think that matters a lot. I think it matters that those signs are something that people can point to and say, hey, I'm allowed to be here if ever the issue comes up. And to add to that, I mean, it, it's not just trans people who who gain more of this sense of safety, right? It's it's anybody who doesn't fit into what is considered gender normative. So, you know, for example, masculine women who still identify as women, I have heard of so much harassment of, of masculine women in washrooms. Um, even though they were assigned female at birth, they identify as women, they're going into women's washrooms. So, I mean, the, the signage helps not just trans populations, but all uh, gender diverse populations and, and gender expressions. And I've seen other uh, universities, uh, colleges and workplaces go the kind of signage model. Um, and it's provided that kind of sense of safety that that Quinn was speaking about, you know, that moment of like not having to worry, oh, am I actually going to go in here or not? Because I know that's a narrative that I know a lot of trans people have made is we make the decision of, do we feel like we can use this washroom? Do we feel like we have to go somewhere else? 
And those signs can create that sense of safety to actually go in. But I mean, we have seen historical, there are places where backlash happens, even though it's like, okay, there's plenty of gendered washrooms for you still to go to if you would prefer a gendered washroom. And legally, nowhere can discriminate. Like it, that's just, it's against the law. So if you have an issue, take it up with the courts, you know, like, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I've seen those signs work um, in other places across Canada as well. Well, I love that you've, you kind of mentioned how these signs indicate to trans and non-binary or kind of people whose gender expressions don't fit with some hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine mold. But what about the cis people who perhaps were not aware before that trans people were using the washrooms with them? And now because of these signs, we're seeing cis people are saying, wait a minute, trans people can use these washrooms? Now I'm really uncomfortable with this. Kind of what is your response to, to that kind of a comment? So, I mean, I would say that it is the same level of history and discrimination that we've seen time and time again, just with different identity categories. You know, like as a as somebody of mostly white settler descent, I get very careful about speaking on behalf of BIPOC communities. But th there was a history of, of segregated washrooms um, based on race and white folks saying, I don't feel safe to go into a washroom with with black folks. And, and you know, I, I see this as a recurring narrative of there are certain spaces where people say, oh, this marginalized group is coming into my space. That is a danger. And where that roots is, is fundamental discriminatory and bigoted attitudes at, at the end of the day, you know? And like, if we say no X of any other identity marker should be coming into this washroom, then we really have to think about it. Uh, do we care about all of us living in a society where we are, are equitable? Or do we care about all of us having the same rights and freedoms? And if we do, people should be able to use the washroom. And, and that fear is coming just out of a place of sexism and transphobia. Yeah, uh, what I also find interesting, and you know, I'm a cis man, but, but one of those... The, the images that I think this constantly get reinforces this message is of, of the, the villains in, in movies. You know, for some reason, we, we, we constantly get this image of trans folk or, or, or gender non-conforming folk being the bad people. Right, it's a common trope in in horror films and 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 so on, and it, it's tired for one and run out. But but also, I think it's it's had this deeper message of making other people feel unsafe when they're around these trans people, and and I think we're now seeing the the very real dangers of of that messaging. Um, am I out to lunch on that? That that feels like a a thing for me at least. A lot of the historical depictions of trans folks are ones where we are the villains. And, and a lot of that comes down to things like the Hollywood Hayes Code um, that put in requirements around what could be shown and could not be shown on TV um, and in movies. Um, and there was very strict piece of that. But it's interesting because if you actually go before the Hayes Code, and here's me being a historical geek for a moment, um, you actually find that there are gender non-conforming, we don't know how they identify, but gender non-conforming people on film in positive ways, just dancing 
and and things of that nature before the Hollywood Hayes Code that came in in, in I believe the 20s or 30s. I can't remember the dates at the moment. So you actually have that in earlier film, very, very early film. And then these days, there isn't as much of that. And, you know, there's some queer and trans folks who've taken that up and said, okay, if you're going to see us as the villains, we're going to play around with that, right? And so there's, you know, people who dress up (laughs) as villains for, you know, Halloween or other things. There's a book called The Lavender Menace uh, that I really enjoy, which is a bunch of short stories of queer and trans villains because we really, we, we, when we think about all of these pieces, it's, it's how we've been trained over time. And I even think back to folks who, uh, like within the community, because I know I've experienced a lot of discrimination within the queer community itself, uh, mostly from cis lesbians, not entirely though, for sure. And, you know, we think of things like the L word and the representation of Max, who once he got hormones, he was a terrible, terrible human being. You know, and these de- depictions do have have an impact on the overall uh, overall psyche. But we are seeing those changes, though. We're seeing, you know, the people like Janet Mock and Laverne Cox and, you know, a bunch of trans actors in positive roles. You know, I think of Tales of the City. It's, a, you know, very positive idea of a trans woman. So there there are depictions out there that are getting positive, but there's many that are not still. Wow, I love that so much. And I was just thinking about that we're creating these ideas around safety through our media, through so many different aspects in our lives. And I want us to question these ideas around safety and think about them in comparison to comfort. So if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable that there's someone in the washroom who you're not quite sure about, that that is something different than feeling unsafe and to kind of separate those out regardless of how many trans villains we've seen on TV and and learn how to be a little bit uncomfortable and that that's okay and that you can work through that and that there are other ways to keep yourself safe as well. Yeah. So when I think about our campus, I think about other spaces that are also used in a gendered way. I'm thinking about not just washrooms, but change rooms and uh, particularly, you know, how those can be designed. So perhaps if, 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 if I ask you, Quinn, what, what are the preferred washroom and change room facility design options for safety for trans folk or trans and non-binary folk? What else should we be doing to ensure that those spaces are safe for everyone to use? Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of having a variety of options available. So in terms of washrooms, I mean, we're, we're a big campus. There's so many washrooms on campus. Having multi-stall gendered washrooms, having multi-stall non-gendered washrooms, having single-stall washrooms, just having a variety of options available. And one thing I'm really excited about is that the Students Association is currently in the process of building our new uh, athletics and recreation complex. And especially since you brought up the change rooms, I am supremely excited that there will be non-gendered change rooms available alongside gendered options. So that's really exciting because it means that there's more variety for everybody who wants to use change rooms in a variety of ways. It's great to have those non-gendered change rooms available for 
people who like who are parents and bringing their kids around for anyone who is a disabled person who has an attendant for anyone who's just like going to the gym with their friends of different genders and maybe you need to share a lock on your locker it's like there's so many reasons why it might be more convenient to have more options available i think the key thing around some of those options is having increased levels of privacy within those washrooms and change rooms i know that one thing around washrooms is that you can feel a little bit exposed with those doors that are kind of half half the height of the wall but that's a problem that we can fix by having better designs for washrooms, which I think makes a big difference for everybody. One thing that, uh, you know, strikes me as you say that is that these are design options, that these are, uh, are new ideas. But uh, the last time I checked my house, every one of my bathrooms and restrooms are, are all unisex. It's not like this is reinventing some massive wheel, right? Like most of the spaces I hang out in particularly while I'm working from home, is uh, are all unisex. And um, so we treat this as a new idea, but really it's one of the oldest ones we've got. Yeah, I mean, gendered washrooms in and of themselves, multi-stall gendered washrooms are only a couple hundred years old, which I think a lot of people just think that we've we've had gender washrooms for time, but we really haven't historically. Um, some of the other spaces like changing spaces have a longer history of being gendered, but that has more to do with sexism and women not being allowed and included in certain places. I think of, for instance, the recreational facilities at the uh, U.S. House of Representatives is a good example of that. They have a men's section and they don't have a women's at all because um, they just didn't have enough women. And so I think, you know, some of these spaces are, you know, things that we, we've been doing uh, from time. Family washrooms have been done for a very long time. But because we're calling them all gender or trans inclusive, that's when people freak out about them, even though we already had those bathrooms. We just called them something different. We just called them family change rooms, right? Um, as Quinn was saying, you know, sometimes you need to have those spaces. And from like a financial way and an inclusivity way, if you build washrooms that are all gender, um, but have private stalls, that is safer for everyone. Absolutely everyone. Um, because uh, as Quinn was saying, nobody feels comfortable in those like awful half door bathrooms. Like who feels comfortable in those? No one. <laughs> like I have never met a person who says, those are the bathrooms I want to be using. Um, so like, let's think of things like, how do we make explicit walls that that go from ceiling to, to uh, from floor to ceiling? Um, and actually I'm very lucky because in my office, uh, which I may not have seen for a year, but <laughs> in my office building, um, when they did the renovations, they made all the washrooms in the building all gender. There are no gendered washrooms in the entire building. All of our washrooms have, you know, floor to ceiling doors. Every washroom has an accessible uh, stall as well. You know, so, you know, thinking about some of these things about how this can be better for everybody and make be be useful for everybody. I mean, we also can address some specific ways that they can be more trans inclusive as well. Like for instance, all the trans masculine people who menstruate, who sometimes go into men's bathrooms and find that they have no menstrual products that they can get there. Well, as if they went into the women's, they could. So there are other things that we can be, be looking at in terms of 
accessibility and inclusion with those all gendered spaces for trans people, but it's for everybody. It really brings in everybody and provides space for everybody and safety for everybody by having those spaces. Well, I think that's uh, some pretty, pretty powerful insights there. Going along the design conversation a little bit further, because I know we're going to have some other employers listening potentially some other uh, Ontario colleges listening. Recently, Quinn and I were part of a project where we started looking at signage on campus. Broadly, all the ways we could represent any sort of sign or identity or direction on campus. And there was a lot of conversation around what is the picture that we put on the door, right? So I'm wondering, Quinn, if you'd be willing to tell us a little bit about what you would recommend in terms of the picture or, you know, how do we signify that this washroom is for certain people? What's your recommendation around that? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to have signage that indicates the function as opposed to any sort of identity-based signage. So for washrooms, have a picture of a toilet. It's, It's clear. It indicates what is there. And then that can also be accompanied by if the washroom has other particular amenities, if there's a shower um, available, put a picture of a shower head, things like that. So rather than having anything to do with gender specifically or who can use the space, what's in the space? Does that also carry over to the workplace, Jade? It it certainly does. And we've had a lot of large employers who have been switching over to using that type of system for for some of their washrooms. I mean, it also winds up being a big challenge because a lot of a lot of folks don't own the washrooms of the spaces that they are renting. Um, So that can be a challenge for for a lot of people. But for for organizations who own all of their spaces, are designing all of their spaces, you know, really having, as Quinn said, what's in the washroom is the most important piece. And of course, I always recommend as well, looking at making sure that there is, you know, clear lettering that has big letters below it still that says, you know, washroom or restroom or something along those lines. Um, It doesn't even have to say all gender necessarily, um, because you're already putting in what is in the washroom, and then saying that it's a washroom, and then making sure that there's also braille on that as well, because we want to be as intersectional in in our inclusion as possible. And of course, also, if one of the stalls is accessible, adding in a, um, as much as I don't like the the wheelchair symbol for accessibility, because I feel like it has its limits, it's still uh, uh, good to, to add in there if you have an accessible piece of that space as well. Uh, Thanks for that. I mean, it's incredible. People who don't speak English as a first language perhaps have different uh, physical abilities. They also need to use the washroom (laughs) as long as people who have a gender, which is everyone. So um, I think this really gets that universality of, of, you know, using the washroom. And I have to admit on this one, my personal pet peeve is when I go into a trendy restaurant or uh, a fancy bar and there's restrooms and on the door there's some really cool imagery and I'm supposed to be able to figure out which one applies to me so then I look at it, I'm like I guess I'm a lipstick <laughs> like I'll try this one <laughs> but um you know designers don't do that many years ago when I I helped run the trans youth group in Ottawa we would have uh, dance parties to help fundraise for all of our programs and we would create 
different signage for the doors um, because of that ridiculousness that we see everywhere. Um, so one party, it was, are you a cake person or a pie person, a dog person or a cat person? Um, you know, these these are the choices that we should be making in terms of, of who we are and not what's between our legs or what's perceived to be between our legs. Yeah. When did, uh, when did feminine become associated with a stick figure that swallowed a triangle? Um, that's that's it's also another one. I'm not quite sure where that came from, but and someone should feed the man as well. I feel like he also needs a happy meal. He's he's quite emaciated on that picture, but he's hungry. <laughs> okay, so as we're exploring this, this uh, podcast concept, we all noted how important it is to have safe washrooms because everybody needs a safe place to pee, but. We know that the issues uh, related to trans inclusion are so much very larger than just that. We know that this conversation gets kind of stuck circling the drain as it was because of media coverage. But Quinn, I'm wondering if you can share with us what are some of the concrete priorities for trans inclusion in Canada other than bathrooms? I mean, I think that there's so many different things that, that trans people need. Um, trans people need access to good quality health care, trans people need jobs, you know, trans people need better media representation that isn't portraying people as villains. Um, I, I think that there's so many different factors in what trans people need that also goes into what poor people need and what people of color need. And so I think that there's also factors around things like housing support for students, uh, tuition supports, services like the food cupboard on campus are so important because trans people might not always have a lot of money. So I think that there's, washrooms are amazing, very important. Having easy processes for name changes, which Algonquin College has been making a, a variety of improvements to, which is really good. All of these are, are very important. And I think the number one thing I'd love to see is trans people being hired in all levels of our campus environment and trans students having trans faculty and staff to look to. I think that would be really amazing. That's a great list. Uh, so we have lots of things that we can kind of continue working to tackle. Jade, is there anything that you would add to that list? Yeah, so I mean, in Canada, trans people are five times more likely to be in poverty, um, according to the Trans Pulse study, uh, comparing it to StatsCan data of the general population. So, you know, we, we see that trans people are overwhelmingly qualified as well. Trans people are more likely to have some post-secondary. So uh, if, if you're feeling kind of a uh, a trans moment in post-secondary right now, that's one of the reasons is that we are more likely to be educated as a group because we know of the discrimination we experience in the workplace um, and that we need that education. In the uh, transitioning employers report that, that we did last year looking at uh, inclusive practices, we actually created a list that uh, people can look at. So obviously it's, you know, some of the basic things like non-discrimination protections uh, in your policies, because um, sometimes I think we, we don't know what 
harassment against trans and gender diverse populations sometimes is. Um, if you're in HR and you haven't had experience with trans populations before, you might not know that continuously misgendering somebody is actually considered harassment under the law, for example. But I mean, there's still a need for more, more healthcare coverage. People think we have full healthcare coverage for trans people. We don't. Um, and it's, it's really dependent on province and territory. Uh, Yukon has created the most trans-inclusive provincial or territorial practice. So people should check out what Yukon has been doing because um, I'm very impressed. But we also, you know, one of the main things that I see is a need for mentorship, you know, like think of the trans folks in your life, in your community, even if you don't know trans folks, think about that and think about, you know, who you need to support to bring up and what you can offer. Because um, that mentorship is the thing that keeps marginalized communities in poverty, essentially, and, and other communities not because of the fact that we don't have the networks. Many of us, if we have transitioned later in life, we might have lost some of our work experience and not feel comfortable with sharing it. So creating those spaces for mentorship is one of the things that I have really been pushing lately. Even though we still need to think about things like our policies, our procedures, our, you know, intake, our hiring, our data collection, you know, all of these pieces make a difference. But at the end of the day, I want to see trans people succeeding. I want to see us thriving and not just surviving, which is what we've been doing for many, many years. So on that, I would like to thank you both so very, very much for joining us. I've learned. I thought I was already moderately educated on this and i i've i've learned just in this short conversation so i i really appreciate both of you for coming and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us it's been a pleasure thank you thank you so what we've learned today is trans people are the ones who are actually at risk in bathrooms it's the trans people who need to be protected and non-binary those are the people who need to be protected and it's really important to the college's core values that we create spaces that are safe for everyone, right? So yep. we touched throughout this conversation on uh, the experiences of trans and non-binary people, but also inclusion for the BIPOC community. We talked about inclusion for people with disabilities in the washrooms and how all these things intersect because none of these things stand alone. Everyone has a gender. So I really appreciate everyone's comments today. Mike laying out the facts about incidents in our washrooms, which again, to reiterate, Martin, there aren't any. And Jane Quinn giving us some insight into that, that real experience and some options for improvement. So I thought that was a wonderful conversation we had today and I hope people enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. It was a, an honor and a privilege to be a part of it. Thank you for joining me on this journey, Martin. My absolute pleasure. 